So we arrive with Jacob. After Toldos, Vayetze, after hearing about the birth and the struggle between Jacob and his brother Esau, after watching Jacob's transformation from an Ishtam Yosheva Alim, from someone, a simple person, a straightforward person, an honest person maybe, who dwelt in tents, the other rejection to some degree of Jacob's way by his father and his embrace of his mother, Rivka, Rebecca. We watched as Jacob made his way into the world. We watched him try his best to be like his brother, cooking soup, wearing the goat skins. He received a blessing, he received a birthright. And in an all manner of way, Jacob is given back what he has himself given others. In the 22 years he lives in his father-in-law, Uncle Lavan's house, Jacob is dealt with also in a treacherous way, with deceit, with a lack of straightforwardness, with a switching of one thing for another. Jacob's confusion must be profound. He must have forgotten at some point that he was an Ishtam, Yosheva Walim, that he was once, once, a simple tent dweller. Because now as we approach the denouement of sorts, as we, we approach this incredible moment where Jacob will finally face the one thing he hasn't faced, the one thing he hasn't achieved. Jacob, the self-made man, will arrive this week with a credit card with plenty in the bank. He's got oxen and sheep. He's got wives, more than he can count maybe, children, a whole entourage. Jacob is going home, but he can't make it over that river. Of course, the river is his name, Ma'avar Yabok, Yaakov Yabok. He can't make it across the Jacob River, the Yabok River, until he faces Esau. And Jacob sends angels. Of course, when we're listening to the text, we're smelling it. We hear, of course, the beginning of Jacob's journey, his beginning of exile. And Jacob met angels. And the rabbis pick up on that. The angels that brought him into the place of exile are now bringing him to into the place of facing, of confronting his brother. Jacob can't find satisfaction in what he has. He was the second born, didn't want that. Had Leah, wanted Rachel. Living with Lavan, that wasn't enough. He seems to lack an authentic core. There is no there there. Yaakov's essence does not belong to him but to the person ahead of him whose heel he's trying to grab. Jacob's MO is one of avoidance. Manipulation rather than confrontation. He bribes and parries instead of facing the music. Yaakov learns his lesson. Lavan taught him a thing or two. So who does Yaakov confront? I said Esau. And Jacob was left alone. And there in his aloneness, 
alone as he was on the day that he left his parents' home, and a mysterious ladder showed him angels going up and down within him. Alone again in the darkness of night, Jacob has a wrestling match with a mysterious ish, some person, some man. But wait, you say, the text clearly says that he was alone. Where does the man come from? Later tradition, indeed, the text itself seems to suggest that this man is a supernatural, superhuman being, a God-man of sorts. Jacob himself will name the place Peniel, I have seen the face of God, and lived. Some of the Midrashic voices say that this man is Esau's archangel, and that in this struggle between Jacob and his brother, he's not yet ready to face the real Esau until he has done the kind of work with that image of his brother. We'll come back to that in a moment. And lastly, I think most subtly and maybe most accurately in the text, Jacob is left alone, and indeed he's still alone even as he wrestles with that ish because Jacob is wrestling with none other than himself. The word vayivater appears only one other time in the Torah, and it doesn't have a vet, it has a doesn't have a vav, it has a vet instead, and it means to split in the Abraham story of, right, of the Brit Ben Habitarim, in that covenant of the pieces. Jacob is vayivater. Jacob himself is split in his aloneness. There is a part of Jacob that doesn't want to go forward. In fact, backwards and forwards is another light vort, a lot of theme in the Parsha. Panim, face, and achor, back. Jacob doesn't want to go forward. He doesn't want, he's, he's still clinging. Jacob's somewhere in the past. Get this. Jacob gets scared in the middle of the night. He says, it says in Torah, Vayitzer. He says, Vayar, Vayitzer lo. He was afraid and it distressed him. So he takes his entire family, right? His entire entourage. He brings him over that river that he's not supposed to go over. And then what does he do? He crosses back over. His aloneness is intentional. The Talmud says, interestingly enough, that he went back to get a couple of cans that he left behind. Pachim ktanim. He went back to get some cans. And mysteriously, the Talmud connects those cans or jars with the jar that is found during the holiday of Hanukkah. He went back to find jars of oil, says the Talmud. Okay. Jacob has only himself, and that's enough. He confronts, he struggles, he wrestles until his own leg is held. Jacob, the one who held, will now be held. Jacob, the one who took, will now give. Jacob has been holding his secret for too long. And in that secrecy, in that place of festering. Jacob has been doing himself a great disservice. We went this week to watch a movie called The Seeds of Resiliency. Seeds of Resilience. And it was a movie about 12 people in various uh, stages of their life who had been through something incredibly traumatic, incredibly powerful, something that 
Most of us would say, wow, I couldn't get up from that. Someone with spinal bifida, a homeless man who had been living on the streets for over 30 years, a, paraplegic, a quadriplegic professor from Korea, and a number of Holocaust survivors. And one of the, the, the interviews kept coming back to this woman, incredibly articulate. She'd become a, a PhD psychologist, and she was um, so, so generous with her, her explanations. And they kept asking her, well, what was it in the camp? She said, well, we had a deeper purpose. We had something that helped us be resilient. We had something that got us through. There was a struggle that we engaged with in trying to extract from the darkest place something light. There was something within us that gave us the hope, the courage to make it. And when we finished, she said, those of us who decided to share, we realized that if we didn't share our secret, if we held our secret, our secrets would hold us, hold us back, hold us from, that we would never move forward. And she spoke about how deeply important it was for her to be able to talk and to, to share that dark place. In wrestling with the split, Jacob is owning his own inner demons. Jacob realizes he is strong enough to be held by the power of his future and not just his past. That which he wrestles with grabs him in his groin, symbolic of his children and the future of the covenantal blessing in the family. The biblical way of saying your future, your lineage, he's wounded in that place as if to say, if you are still wounded in this place and don't own that wound, if you don't learn to walk with what you have, your own name, your real name, not the name that you lied about when your father said to you, who are you? And you said, I'm Esau. Right now, the angel says to him, who are you, Jacob? What's your secret? And he says, I'm Jacob. Now I want a blessing for being who I really am. Now I'm going to be blessed. Nothing changes until it becomes what it is. Nothing ever changes until it becomes what it is. As long as Jacob is not Jacob, he can never be Yisrael. Until Jacob is Jacob, he can never meet his brother because he doesn't see his brother. He sees his own poverty. He sees his own pain. He projects his own desire onto his brother. He doesn't really know Esau. The Esau that Jacob will meet will harbor no ill feelings towards him, at least in the simple meaning of the text. The Esau that Jacob will meet will meet him with love, with a release of the past. And Jacob will only arrive there limping. Jacob will only arrive to meet his brother with his wound in hand, with the truth of who he is. He tries all kinds of things. He sends riches and all kinds of presents. But ultimately, Jacob has to be real. And so do we. Jacob's name change. That moment where he becomes Israel is a testimony for each and every one of us for the rest of our lives. To be Israel is to be someone who struggles with the dark to find the light. 
Jacob could not become Israel, could not become the God wrestler that he became until he crossed back over that river. He grabbed those little cans of oil, little jars, and said, in the dark night, you can find light. In the dark night, it's possible to extract enough energy to make it through. The seeds of resilience are found in a yearning to recover what is lost, but not to stay stuck there. That's what it is to be Israel. Each and every one of us knows that we continue to move through cycles of, of courage and despair. The city, our, courage, our country, the world. I am personally buoyed by Jacob's model here in this week's portion. I want to be like Jacob. I want to be someone who isn't afraid to confront what needs to be confronted, to face what needs to be faced, who lets things from behind catch up. Vaichar ad ata, Jacob lets things catch up to him. And then finally, he's willing to see the truth. It's not over for him. He'll continue for the rest of his life to struggle, to evolve, to make Israel a more permanent feature of his personality. But in the coming weeks ahead, and for all of us in the coming days and months ahead, we can hold Jacob as our model. We can hold his courageous wrestling as a way of saying, here I am, all of me. Let's find those jars of light.